you couldn't tell by the heat outside, we are in the very middle of summer. And if you're like me, summer is all about vacation. I love summer vacation. Let's do a little straw poll. Who here has already taken their summer vacation? Raise your hand. Wow, lucky you. And now, who here is like me and has not yet taken their summer vacation? Raise your hand. I get it. I'm with you. Sympathy. Solidarity. I love summer vacations. My summer vacation is coming up next month. But since living in Texas, the meaning of summer vacation has changed a little bit for me. See, now, summer vacation is all about beating the heat. It's about going somewhere else somewhere that is much cooler than here. I mean, just take this week. Every day was over 100 degrees. So I'm really looking forward to my summer vacation in a much cooler place. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus is inviting his disciples to join him on vacation. But this is not a vacation as we tend to think about it. If you look with me at verse 31 in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gives a rather unique invitation. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of vacation, I do not think of a desolate place. I think of a beach on a Caribbean island under a cabana with a nice drink, or maybe I think of a cabin in the woods, in the mountains, outside, in nature. I do not think of a desolate place. How do you rest in a desolate place? Is it even possible? What's going on here? What is Jesus talking about? What does it mean for us? Let's dive into the text in Mark chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles with you, open them up. You can use the Bible in the pew. We're going to be spending our morning here. Our gospel reading, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, occurs right in the middle of the story. So if we want to understand what Jesus is talking about, we've got to look at the context. If we go to the beginning of chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus is sending out his apostles on their first mission. And they're given authority to cast out unclean spirits, to heal, to proclaim the gospel. And then they're told to travel light, to not bring a lot of stuff with them. But something happens while they're on mission, something quite devastating. They learn that some bad news, that their fellow missionary and friend, John the Baptist, has been brutally murdered by King Herod. This is an assassination. Can you imagine their fear, their sadness, their anger? What we have here is a pivotal moment in the history of the early church. The first person who has died for proclaiming the gospel. Now the apostles for the first time realize that following Jesus can cost them their lives. And they're scared. This brings us to verse 30. The apostles return and Jesus says, tell me everything you have done and taught. Tell me what you did. 
This is the apostolic after-action report. It's the kind of fourth-quarter review with your boss. How'd the mission go? How did things happen? Tell me. In verses 12 and 13, we get a sense that the mission went pretty well. Many people were healed. Many demons were cast out. Many people repented. It seems that this was a very successful first mission for the 12. So how does Jesus respond to this apostolic action report? Verse 31, the key verse here in this text. Jesus invites his disciples to rest. This is really critical for us to understand. Jesus does not evaluate their performance. He does not give them constructive criticism. He does not add to their to-do list. And he does not guilt them into working harder. No, Jesus invites them to rest. We even get a rationale for this rest in verse 32. Mark tells us that they were so busy coming and going that they had no time to stop and eat. That's pretty busy. We live in a busy culture. We live in a restless culture, a culture that is shaped by overwork. We're constantly told by so many different kinds of people, so many different messages that our best effort is not good enough, that there's always more to do, and if you don't like it, we can find someone to replace you. And when we're caught in this pattern of overwork, it results in two things, anxiety and fear. Anxiety is about our present lives and fear about our future. Will I be able to provide for my family? Will I be able to pay my credit card bill this month? Will I be able to make my mortgage? Will my kids get into the right school? And if they do, will I be able to afford it? Have I saved enough for retirement? Or will I have to keep working another four or five years? Most of us are trapped in this endless cycle of anxiety and fear. And it causes us to work harder, to overwork. Work gives us a sense of control. We feel like we can do something about our anxiety and our fear. But this is not what Jesus wants us to do. This is not the life Jesus has for his disciples. Jesus invites us to rest. He wants them to stop, to slow down, to eat, to spend time with him. True, Jesus appreciates work. We were made to work, but to work without rest, that is what Jesus is against. This all goes back to the biblical understanding of rest, all the way at the beginning of creation. There in Genesis 1, God himself rests on the seventh day from all he has done. And then later he commands his people Israel to rest on the Sabbath day, to honor the day of rest God has given. Jesus' rest that he offers here in Mark 6 is not vacation. And I love vacation, but it's not the same thing. You can learn a lot about our culture by studying this word vacation. What's the root of vacation? vacate, emptiness. 
A vacation is the absence of work. It's when you clear your schedule and do nothing. At the core of it, vacation is a negative concept. It's an absence. It's a nothingness. Vacation is just an interruption in this endless cycle of anxiety and work. A momentary break. But Jesus' rest is different. Jesus' rest is positive. Rest is not just time away from something, but it is time for something. Time for family, time for friends, time for loved ones, time for God, for his purposes. God wants his people, his disciples, to reflect on their lives, to spend time with him, to rest. This requires us to be intentional, and that's not always easy to do. Another way to think about the rest that Jesus offers us is by looking at Ephesians chapter 2, our second reading. Here Paul is giving an explanation of peace, shalom. When most of us think of peace, we think of uh, quietness or tranquility or calmness or some kind of Zen state peace, right? But this is not the peace that Jesus offers us. This is not what Paul sees in Ephesians 2. For Paul, peace is a ceasefire. It is a treaty between enemy combatants. Because each one of us, because of sin and death, was an enemy combatant of God. We were at war with our Lord and King. We were opposed to his purposes for our lives. But through the cross... Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. We who, because of sin, who were far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has made peace with us. For St. Paul, peace is not some subjective feeling. It is an objective reality that has been won through the cross of Christ, through his resurrection from the dead, Peace is not the absence of hostility, but peace is the overcoming of hostility. And the good news is that each one of us gets to taste this peace. We get to live in this peace when we enter Jesus' rest. This is a really radically different understanding of peace and rest than our culture. This biblical understanding, though, helps us answer the other key question in verse 31. Why does Jesus invite his disciples to rest in a desolate place? Is it even possible to rest in a desolate place? A lot of this depends on how we understand that word desolate. If you survey Bible translations, you get a lot of different words. Lonely place, quiet place, isolated place. The Greek word here is eremos. It literally means desert, wilderness. It's where we get the word hermit from, the person who is alone by themselves in the desert. Now let me be clear about something. Jesus is not inviting his disciples to go camping. I love camping. I grew up camping. Going to Yosemite or to Yellowstone is a beautiful, wonderful, restful thing. 
But Jesus wants his disciples to go to a difficult place, to a desert place. The picture here is of the Judean wilderness. And if you've been to the Holy Land, you know what this looks like. It's a place filled with rocks and sand where there is no living thing except for a few lizards and snakes and maybe a shrub or two. This is the place where Jesus wants his disciples to rest. Jesus is purposely taking them to a hard and difficult place and he's inviting them to rest there. How is this possible? Again, we go back to that biblical understanding of rest. Jesus' rest is the present experience of God's peace. Jesus' rest is a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' rest dispels all anxiety, all fear, all worry. It takes away the endless cycle of work that drives our lives. And the amazing thing about Jesus' rest is that it's not dependent on our surroundings. Human rest is. That's the main problem with a vacation. If you go away somewhere and have a nice time, when the vacation's over, you got to come back. You come back to your lives, to your kids, to your work, to your boss, to your bills. And inevitably, the anxiety comes creeping back. The fear comes back. But Jesus' rest is different. It doesn't go away. It's always there with us because the Holy Spirit is always there with us. And Jesus is constantly inviting us to enter into that rest, to reconnect with him in prayer. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you are in the most joyful, abundant place or in the most desolate places of your life. One of the ways that I've been resting this summer is by rereading one of my favorite books of fiction. I like to read a lot. I don't normally read fiction, but I decided that I would reread J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. I'm making way, way through all of those books. And, and reading through Mark 6, it reminded me of this amazing scene from the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring. If you haven't seen the movie or read the book, let me explain a little bit. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is this group of nine friends. And they're on a mission to defeat a evil dark lord named Sauron. And they want to do this by destroying his ring of power. But pretty soon after their journey begins, something terrible happens. Their leader, Gandalf the wizard, is killed fighting a Balrog in the mines of Moria. And they emerge deeply saddened, distressed, anxious, fearful. What are they going to do without their leader and friend? Can the journey even go on? Well, it does. It must. And so the remaining eight of the fellowship journey on. And they come to this very mysterious place, a place called Lothlorien. It is a uh, magical wood that is populated by elves and it's ruled by uh, the lady elf queen Galadriel. And at first, uh, the fellowship was kind of nervous about this. They didn't know what to make of Lothlorien. But then, over time, they find it a place of rest. 
And Tolkien is very explicit about the details. They sleep in the most comfortable bed they've ever been in. They eat some of the best food they've ever had. They're given new clothes, a nice elven cloak, and they're given gifts, a number of important gifts that become important later in their journey. And one of the most important gifts they receive is this stuff called lembus bread. Lembus is this kind of magical bread that never goes stale. And if you eat just a little bit of it, you have enough energy to last an entire day. And as they're on their journey, as they're in desolate places in Middle Earth, as they're in great peril, when the fear and the anxiety takes over, they reach in their bag and they grab some Lembus bread. And they eat some, and they remember the rest they received in Lothlorien. They remember the Lady Galadriel, and they are ready to continue their journey. Every week, we Christians get our own Lembus bread. We come here together in worship and feed on our Lord Jesus in word and sacrament. We eat of his holy words and are nourished by them. We eat the bread and body of his Jesus here at this table, and we are nourished and we are fed and we are sustained for the journey. The amazing thing about this story from the Fellowship of the Ring is that they're not removed from their troubles. They're not removed from the journey. No, they're still in a desolate place but they are provided for what they need. They are sustained for the journey. For the past few weeks, Father Paul has been teaching on what drives us into mission. But here in Mark 6, we learn what sustains us in mission. We cannot be a people on mission unless we are willing to rest with our Lord Jesus I think too often the mission of the church is fueled by the same fears and anxieties as the world. We ask questions like, will I be saved? Will my loved one be saved? Will my kids continue to follow Jesus when they leave the house? Will we as a church make budget? Will we have enough volunteers? Will we attract new people? And then we get in this cycle of overwork and fear and anxiety, and our mission with our Lord, too, becomes a burden. But Jesus responds to these anxieties and fears by inviting us to rest with him, by inviting us into a deeper life of prayer, by inviting us to feast on him in word and sacrament, even in the most desolate places of our lives. The only question for us is if we will respond to his invitation. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a little while. Jesus says it a little differently in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.